I want to deliver a word to you today. Hopefully it'll be a, a short, not a long word. Can you say amen? amen? And so, you know, I know we have family at our house as well, and so we're looking forward to getting back to them. I think it's supposed to be like 83 degrees today or something. Isn't that right? Wow, how cool is that? It's been uh, one of the, I know I was talking with, what? How hot? Okay, how, all right. I meant cool, like K-E-W-L, not the other cool, like air conditioning. And so, uh, yeah, uh, we was just talking to family yesterday, and they, they kind of remembered, man, this might be the best weather we've had on a Memorial Day in a long, long time. So, boy, what a great day to go for a motorcycle ride, right? You're going to do that? Uh, he's got the thumbs up. We got a motorcycle right over there. Awesome. Awesome. Good deal. Uh, I want to deliver a message to you again, speaking from the book of Daniel, as we started that last week. And the title of my message today is A Consistent Prayer Life. Now, we've been on a journey of prayer uh, for quite some time. We've been having spectacular prayer meetings on Wednesday night, just great times together. Uh, I encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to come out on a Wednesday night for prayer, it might be the highlight of your week, honestly. It's just that been that good. Prayer, prayer meetings always seem to be a hard thing to get rolling and get a lot of participation in. But uh, I tell you what, I, I was just telling Miss Betty, uh, my spiritual mom, that uh, I don't think I've ever seen prayer meetings quite as healthy as what we've been experiencing together. And so I encourage you to come on out on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. And then we also have a prayer time together on Sunday mornings from 8 to 8.30. I've been sharing that with you. Uh, it's, it, I was just thinking about it even this morning. It's such a peaceful time. You know, Rachel spoke with me last week and I think addressed all of us on how she just experienced such tranquility and peace. And it kind of laid on my heart that this may be the most peaceful moment all week. Now, I have a lot of peace, you know, uh, when the lake's all calm and I'm sitting in the middle of the lake in my boat. That's pretty peaceful and tranquil. You know, nobody's ru rushing around tubing or skiing and boats all over the place. It's just got nature and God's glory all to myself. But I'll tell you, Sunday morning, even this morning, I just went, this is possibly for some people their greatest chance all week to experience absolute tranquility and peace. I'm not kidding, and I'm not doing this to drum up participation, I promise you. I'm just saying, and you may, well, it's kind of early. Uh, I understand that, uh, but the scripture says, early in the morning will I seek thee, the, the psalmist said. And so, welcome to come on out and be with us. One of the most important things we can have in life, though, is a consistent prayer life. We talked last week about making a difference without giving in, without compromising. And we're all challenged in life to, to be what I called last week chameleon Christians. That, uh, you know, people who um, can't make a difference in life because they're changing from environment to environment to kind of fit in and fly below the radar and, you know, keep a, a low profile. But uh, we're supposed to be people that impact every environment that we're in, that influence every environment that we're in, potentially change every environment in that we're in, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Can you say amen? We're challenged not to be Christians that adapt to every environment, but we're 
challenge to be Christians that change the environment. I want you to look at yourself like that, that you're filled with the power of God, you are filled with Jesus Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and every place that you go, you're an environment changer, okay? Uh, whether it's standing at the pump, at getting gas, and you should just figure there's an aura of circle around me that's an, it's an environment changer, and uh, I think that's pretty powerful. I also shared with you last week three things that the world's culture will do to steal your ability to be a difference maker. And it's a very subtle, seductive thing by the enemy how he does this. And uh, he does it in such a way that you don't even know that it's happening. But he wants to make sure that, I mean, I can tell you right now, Satan and all of hell is happy with Christians and churches who simply keep a low profile and choose just, let's just do this in the four walls and out there, you know, no, no, this is just for here. Uh, we're supposed to be salt and light everywhere we go. Not here. Uh, yes, here, but I should say not here alone. And we're supposed to be uh, uh, witnesses, uh, environment changers everywhere we go. Not just people that come to church and that's their only moment to kind of, listen, I know people don't like to stick out like a sore thumb. But you believers, you ought to be sticking out like sore thumbs, so to speak, amen? amen. And just to be, a, be the kind of thing that will uh, cause people to want to have what you have inside. But there's three things that the enemy will do to make sure that you're a lukewarm Christian, that you don't affect anything. You just enjoy your environment. Now, I have water in here right now, but if I had hot coffee in here, uh, since it's a Yeti, I'd have to take the top off because otherwise it doesn't cool down very quick. But if I had a cup of hot coffee, I mean, you just imagine for a minute, you could see the, the steam coming off it. Anybody interested in a cup of coffee? And, and, uh, and it's hot coffee. But I just, I just leave it there. And it's inside its environment. And, but it's now in the environment of the room. And over a period of time, something happens to that cup of coffee. The steam stops, and the temperature of that coffee in there will ultimately acclimate itself to the temperature of the room. Right? And how did it get there? Just doing nothing. Just sitting there. Where it's supposed to be, in a coffee cup. But doing nothing, and eventually completely conforms to its surrounding environment. Uh, I better put this back on so when I take a big guzzle, I, I don't forget that it don't have a lid and then I baptize myself in front of y'all. And you know, the, the enemy would love that we do nothing more than, you know, he, uh, in the metaphor that I'm doing, this is our big coffee cup. We just come here, and, oh, we're fired up, but then we just adapt to our environment. Um, and what is the Bible says in Revelation that says, you know, because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth is what scripture says, which, which basically says lukewarm Christians nauseate God. We're, they, we don't affect anything. We don't change the environment of anything. We have no, we're not carrying with us really any power because all of our worship and all of our Christianity is lip service and it's void of any power to have
have lasting effect to change anyone's life. And we're not just here. Jesus, we just shared communion. You know, Jesus didn't do all that just so we could be coffee in a cup that just sits. He, he did all that so we could go out and help other people find him and be something that influences salt and light to other people so that they say, I don't know what you got, but I need what you got. What do you got? And then we are brave enough to step out and say, well, I'll tell you what I got. I got, I got a Savior named Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a little bit about him, right? And so we're supposed to be different maker, difference makers. Everybody just look at any neighbor you choose and just say, you need to be a difference maker. Just go ahead and do that for a minute. So what the three things that the enemy will do, as I shared with you last week, is number one, he's going to make sure that you're convinced that God doesn't care, that God uh, isn't here to meet your needs, so therefore you find your needs met somewhere else, and so need was the first one. You go, well, if God's not helping me out of my situation, then there's something that will help me, so I guess I don't need God, I need such and such, whatever it may be. The other thing was lifestyle. Uh, he'll do everything that he can to conform your lifestyle to the pattern of societal culture. And the society and the culture that we live in today is rotten, absolutely rotten. And it got rotten over uh, many, many decades, not just because Satan is, uh, the end days are coming, and we know that's true, and in the end days Satan's going to just you know, rise up and just even be more wicked than he's ever been, and sin will find full maturity before the Lord comes back. But I think in part a lot of What's happened over the decades is that church believers, Christians, church attenders, were nothing more than church attenders who did their stuff within the four walls and never did anything out there. So we didn't change. We, we probably had a strong opportunity to shift societal direction decades ago. And now we're in a place where the church, for, for the most part, the church is raising up its head and going, Whoa! No! And for some, it's almost too late. But we can still change the environment of our life. But societal culture wants to shift your lifestyle. We've seen churches shift from being spirit-filled, God-believing, truth-purveying churches to places that have acquiesced to culture and have watered down all of their Christianity to such a degree that they'll call the things that are wrong right and call the things that are right wrong. And we're seeing it everywhere. And in some cases, it's almost too late. I just said almost because I don't think it's too late. Amen. I believe in these last days before the Lord Jesus Christ come back, comes back, the true church, not the placebo church, not the watered down church, not church light, but strong Spirit-filled churches are going to have an impact in society and people are going to run to a place where they can experience the tangible presence of God. Can you say amen? Yeah. Amen. I believe that with all my heart. So in these last days, we need to be willing to stand our ground. And the third thing was that he'll shift your identity. If you remember, he changed the names of Daniel uh, to, uh, and the three Hebrew children to different names. We talked about that last week. And basically it all came down to this. He changed their names from servants of God, their identity from servants of God to servants of Satan. 
So that's what the enemy is up to. And so in these last days, we got, it's time for believers to take a stand. Yes. Climb out of the foxhole. Get out of your, uh, your, uh, your uh, uh, whatever it is. Your, what's the, what's the, where they dig holes in the preppers? Bunkers. Get out of your bunker and uh, come on out into society and make a change. Make a difference and not give in to societal culture. Amen? So if you want to have this kind of resolve, if you want to have this kind of determination, if you want to take a stand against the seduction and the insidious program of the world to uh, compromise, make you, cause you to compromise and to give in, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to learn to pray like Daniel. Yeah. You need to understand something about Daniel. Daniel was a difference maker. Uh, I think it's interesting that I th Daniel was not just a difference maker in his society, but he was a difference maker to the three Hebrews as well, right? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Everyone knows them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that was their ungodly names. I always found it kind of interesting that when it came to the fiery furnace that Daniel wasn't mentioned there, but yet the three Hebrew children were still at that party. Now, they did take a stand, and they stood up for God, and they said, we'll give our lives in this. But still, it's interesting to me that they were mentioned as being at that big celebration, and Daniel wasn't mentioned as being in that celebration. I can tell you why I think that is. It's because it was probably his hour of prayer. Uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. So turn your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to see that Daniel was able to stand against the pressures that he faced in that society. And uh, he, was, he chose not to get in line with his societal surroundings. He made, a, he made a decision not to defile himself with the things of the world. And we as believers are going to have to do that in these last days. We as a church, we're going to journey to do that. And so I encourage you to get on board, so to speak, right? Daniel had a consistent prayer life. And I'll tell you, the reason Daniel was able to do what he did and to stand against the things that he stood against, it was not by accident. It didn't just, wasn't happenstance. He had a consistent prayer life that prepared him to overcome the difficulties that he faced in his society and in his culture. Jerked out of his own Jewish culture and taken captive to the Babylonian culture. And they changed everything about a number of individuals. But four that we know of, Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, changed them completely. But somehow, again, I'm a little confused as to why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were at that celebration. But they were. And praise God, they stood their ground. Something may have clicked in that moment. Said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We probably shouldn't be here Where's Daniel? Where's our, where's our influencer, right? And we're going, no, we, the, what we're doing is not right. We're going to take a stand. But Daniel wasn't there. And it was because he had a consistent prayer life. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 10 of Daniel chapter 6. And uh, I'm reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Uh, Darius, the Mede, decided to divide divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. 
the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the kings made plans to place him over the entire empire. Think about that. <clears throat> then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault to find in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn him. They were pretty jealous of Daniel. Uh, he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Are you seeing it? The enemy knows that if he can change your rules about your faith and the things you know scripturally, he's got an inroad in most people's lives. Verse 6, so the administrators and the high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that, key, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion, the den of lions. You see, what the enemy did here was attack Daniel's commitment to God. That's exactly what he will do to us today. To get us somehow to just compromise on just this one, oh, come on, just this one thing? pray later all right and then verse 8 and now your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked so King Darius signed the law let's check this out because this is where my focus is going to be in verse 10 but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed this guy is a radical dude man he went home and knelt down as usual. Everybody say, as usual. This wasn't just an obnoxious, arrogant moment for him of protest. Because it does say when he heard about this, he decided to do it. No, he went and did what he normally did. He went and did what he consistently did. And he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. Are you ready? With its windows open toward Jerusalem. Now, he didn't just open his windows that day because he's going, I'll show them. This, is what, this was the consistent practice of his life. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. Say, always done. Always. Giving thanks to his God. Consistent prayer life. Now, I'm going to bet that he probably wasn't at the grand celebration because the enemy of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, statue and you know with the fiery furnace and that story i'm knowing the enemy and his strategies and how seductive he is i'll guarantee you that that celebration was probably at one of those three prayer times that's why you don't hear daniel in the storyline of the fiery furnace he was he said i i not i know what i'm supposed to do as a believer and he he's he said i'm gonna be a difference maker are you hearing me beloved so when Daniel came face to face with the onslaught of get in line or else, 
that onslaught of culture, the demands of culture, that's what that was. That was the demands of culture that fought against, let me help you, it fought against the very thing that gave Daniel power to be a difference maker. His prayer life is what gave him the power to be a difference maker. And we need to learn to pray like Daniel. We need to look to God in all of our situations. We need to look to God at, 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 for our help versus looking at our challenges. Instead of looking at culture, instead of looking at what's happening on all of the horrible news on every, on every one of the news channels. Instead of looking at all of these things, we need to put our focus on Jesus Christ, not our focus upon the trouble, not our focus on the challenges. And we need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ consistently, consistently. I want you to write this statement down on, on your bulletin or somewhere. It, I want you to keep it with you because this is important for us all to recognize. A consistent prayer life. A consistent prayer life will prepare you. A consistent prayer life will prepare you for difficult situations. A consistent prayer life will prepare you for difficult situations. Difficulties, problems. You don't need to write the difficulties, problems. So the only statement was consistent prayer life will prepare you for difficult situations, period. Now let me move on. How many know difficulties happen even to good, good, believer, good believers, right? You know that difficult situations happen to even people who have consistent prayer lives. It's just a part of life. Difficulties, problems, troubles, trials, challenges, it's all a part of life. Uh, being a Christian doesn't exempt any of us from troubles, perils, uh, trials, difficulties, and challenges. It, whoever taught you that you just accept Jesus Christ and everything's going to be hunky-dory for the rest of your life isn't living life in the real world. Because we're still going to face trouble. We're still going to face difficulties. Uh, you know, people get uh, hit and killed by drunk drivers who are great Christians. And we want to try to explain that why wasn't God there? Well, God is there, okay? And we don't know why bad things happen to good people, but that's, that's life. And we shouldn't be surprised by it because the Lord told us that every single day is going to have enough trouble of its own. So if you're in the um, delusion that being a Christian is just suddenly a pressure-free life, you miss something in your, in your, uh, uh, your conversion or whatever testimony uh, got you to Jesus because uh, life's got trouble. Life's got trouble. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fire trials you're going through. Now, he wrote this to believers who probably were like, Hey, I didn't think we were supposed to have any more trouble. What's going on here? And he says, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials. Not just trials, but fiery trials you're going through. As if something strange were happening to you. Listen, God never promised us that we wouldn't face difficult situations. Uh, nowhere did God ever say that if you'll simply believe in him, 
that you would never have another problem in your life or never face another trial. However, what he did promise us is that in every trouble, situation, and trial you may face, he's going to be with you right in the middle of it to help you get through it. Can you say amen? And that's what we have that the unbelievers do not have. God with us all the time, all the time. Here's a few passages of scripture that confirm that point. Oh, this is probably one of my favorite scriptures, Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. So, yeah, listen, even for the believer, I don't care what level of believership you may be in or discipleship, life still happens, right? And we got to be able to take a stand in the middle of that. How about Isaiah 41, verse 10? It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I'm going to strengthen you, I'm going to help you, and I'm going to hold you in my righteous right hand, his strong hand. He's got you. Can you say amen? I love Psalm 23, verse 4, from the, uh, from the, uh, the 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. So it doesn't matter what trouble you may be going through. Would you turn your Bibles real quick with me over to uh, Psalm 91? This is like the premier scripture that will help you know it doesn't matter what you're going through. God's going to be with you. It's all going to be all right. So I'm just trying to give, give you this, this, this point of view that even though you're a believer, trouble's going to come. And society's going to push against you. And based on what we learned from Daniel and what we are continuing to learn, the only way Daniel made it through was consistently talking to the one who was with him. Right on? Can you say amen? Are you ready for the reading of the word? Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High. That's something we all should get written on our tombstone. I live in the shelter of the Most High. Amen. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with His feathers. He will shelter you with His wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of night, nor of the arrows that fly in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. Come on, somebody. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. <coughs> Excuse me. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, prayer. When they call on me, prayer. I will answer. 
And I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life. And I and give them my salvation. I wish somebody would praise the Lord in the house of God. So we have the Lord with us through all our stuff. And we've got to remember that. A consistent prayer life prepares us for difficult situations. Why? Because prayer connects us to the heart of God. Let me say that again. The power statement that I gave you a few minutes ago is a consistent prayer life prepares us for difficult situations. Why? Because prayer connects us to the heart of God. Huh? And here's something else I want you to write down. You ready? The person who carries the heart of God. The person who carries the heart of God also carries the power of God. The person who carries the heart of God also carries the power of God. How do you get the heart of God? Consistent prayer life. See, it's consistent prayer that prepares you for difficult situations. Why? Because prayer connects you to the heart of God. And the person who carries the heart of God... You need, to, you need to get this, beloved, to determine and know who your, what your identity is in Christ Jesus. Those who are connected and carry the heart of God are connected and carry the power of God. In every situation, whatever it may be. How many of you all ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? Anybody ever hear of Corey Ten Boom? She is known for helping countless numbers of Jews escaped the Holocaust by, by harboring them in her home. And she once said this, this statement, actually a question. Is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? In other words, is prayer life only what you do when you're in trouble? Or is prayer life the, the guiding force of your life? I submit to you that more than likely, for most Christians, prayer is their spare tire. They, boy, they're ready to pray when trouble comes. But is it, it should be your steering wheel. <laughs> it should be the guiding force of your life. Prayer. Connecting with God. Connecting with the heart of God. Carrying the heart of God. Now you have the power of God. And it all started on your knees in prayer. Keep your knees bent to heaven. Amen. So, let me paint for you another scenario. Imagine you were diagnosed with a deadly disease. I mean, just a severely deadly disease that the doctor told you that you would die within hours if you did not take this one particular pill every single night at bedtime. Okay, you get this, the beginning of this scenario? So imagine that he told you, don't absolutely, under no circumstances, ever miss this pill, or you'll die within hours if you don't take this pill. Would you forget it? I wouldn't. Would you miss it? I wouldn't. Would you forget about it and miss it? No, I say you'll probably never forget about it. I got to take that pill, or I'll die within hours. And you certainly wouldn't miss it, right? Now imagine with me for a moment 
that prayer was that important to your life? Because it is. Imagine with me for a moment that prayer was that important to your life. Would you miss it? And I'm not talking about missing a prayer meeting. This isn't about, I'm not trying to drum up numbers for the prayer meeting. I promise you from the bottom of my heart, I want you to connect to the heart of God as a believer, and I want you to be able to have the power of God and to be able to make it through difficult situations in life. And I know with all my heart that it starts with a consistent prayer life. I didn't say it starts with attending all prayer meetings. And would I love it? Sure. But not because I count numbers. Because it's all something, something special that happens when we get together and pray. Can I get a witness from somebody? So Martin Luther, he said this statement in regards to, like, prayer is that important to your life. Uh, he said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be a human without breathing. Now, I don't, you can only investigate yourself. I'm not, I'm not a fruit inspector or a prayer inspector. Uh, but I believe it's very possible that there are a few Christians that pray a lot or very much every day or have a specific time alone with God. You might, and many will offer me the reasoning, well, I pray all the time. Great, that's wonderful. That is one of the practices of prayer, prayer without ceasing. I'll thank, praise God. Or they might say, well, I pray when I drive to work. And I go, praise God, that's wonderful, that's a great aspect of prayer. But what about shutting off everything else and just having time alone with Father God? I think if, if I were to ask you and look for a response of hands on how difficult that is for a lot of people's lives to find that kind of time, you probably have, we'd probably be people all over this congregation that would go, yeah, I, yeah, that's hard to find that kind of time to just shut everything off. That's why I pray when I'm driving. That's why when I, I pray when I'm working. And I praise God. But Father, God's looking for <coughs> some specific, alone love time with you in prayer. Can I get a witness from somebody? And imagine it was that important to your life. As important as breathing. I dare you to hold your breath all day. <laughs> or only breathe once a day. See, the problem is, is we don't consider prayer that important to our lives. And I'm not talking, again, I know I've said this a, a half a dozen times already. I'm not talking about the prayer meetings. I'm talking about your time alone with God in prayer, consistent prayer. Edward Payson, he's an American congregational preacher from the early 1800s. He said this, he said this statement. I love this statement. Prayer is the first thing. Prayer is the second thing. Prayer is the third thing necessary for every believer. He goes on to say, pray, then again pray, 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 and then pray until you've prayed. That dude was into prayer. Necessary. 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 And we're going to, you've been in church for two hours today. Well, not yet, but maybe soon, I don't know. So far, an hour and 25 minutes. How many of you spend that much time in prayer every week? Don't answer. The, it's just, it's not a question I need you to answer. I want you to consider that. How many of you pray as much as you're in church every week? 
you wanted to, you could look at your neighbor. I think he's probably talking about you. So. <laughs> I believe, and it's not from skepticism, that every Christian needs to have a more consistent prayer life. Amen? Uh, it, I was talking with someone at June Blanche, and well, it's now June, I forgot the last, she just got married uh, this weekend, and I was sitting with someone at the table, and he had helped start an international house of prayer somewhere, I think here in Michigan, a number of years ago, and he made this statement, it's a statement that I've, I concur with and have made many times, he, just, he said, I, I just find it so out of place that people, Christians don't consider prayer the most important aspect of their life. And I go, I know. It's like for those of us who do consider it the most important aspect of life, we just go, what? I don't, I, it doesn't, that doesn't compute. If anybody should find prayer the one thing that's most important in their life. It should be believers. Yeah. They should consider. And I'm, and I'm, praise God for prayer without ceasing and while you're working. And I mean, I pray when I'm mowing the grass and I pray when I'm fishing. I pray when I'm on the golf course. In fact, a number of people have told me many times it's not fair that you pray in the Holy Ghost while we're golfing. It's not fair. <laughs> but I have alone time, separate time with God every single day. I can't survive without prayer. Spiritually, I start the death process when I don't pray. Spiritually, you start the death process when you choose not to pray. And most people choose not to. I can do it on Sunday. I don't even have to do it on Sunday. Pastor prays real good. He can do it for me on Sunday. I'll just listen. Hitch my cart to it. It's all good. Now, Daniel laid out a great model for us for prayer. And I'm going to share this with you. And it's in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. We read it a minute ago, but it says, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room, which meant it, that was either his bedroom or it was his prayer room, with the windows open. Now, I'm not suggesting you go home and kneel down. I mean, that's cool. Praise God. Uh, that you have to go upstairs. I'm not suggesting you've got to be in an upstairs room somewhere. Uh, and you got to open your windows toward your... I'm not suggesting that. He prayed, you ready? Three times a day, just as he had always done. That's consistent prayer life. Consistent prayer was a part of Daniel's lifestyle. Now, I got to thinking about this, and I did a little math. Because I've never done this. You know, I'm the guy who prays once, every day alone with God, and then I pray all day long. Daniel had a consistent prayer life, and when I got special appointments with God three times a day, he was able to stand up against culture, change culture. In fact, he changed it so much that when Cyrus saw that he made it through the night in the lion's den, Cyrus says, the God of Daniel will be the God of this nation. He changed society with one challenged face because he had a consistent prayer life. But think about this for a minute. Uh, if you were to pray three times a day, seven days a week, do you realize that's 21 prayers? 21 prayers that week. Now, I'm not talking an hour. I'm not even talking a half hour. What if it was five, ten minutes? 
But what if you had three times a day that you said, this is, I got an appointment with God. I'm not going to get through this day without my three five-minute segments of prayer. Now, I'm not talking about driving down the road or while you're at the whatever machine you're working at at your job or whatever. I'm talking about some time alone with God. Now, think of, if you prayed three times a day for seven days, that's 21 prayers a week. I'm, I'm betting there ain't a one of us in this room has 21 prayers a week. I'm not talking about praying without ceasing. I mean some specific time with God. Now, 21 prayers a week, every week for a year, that's 1,092 prayers in a year. I'd call that a lifestyle of prayer. Amen. I'd call that a consistent prayer life. And I'm not talking about the longevity, the quantity of prayer time. I'm talking about the quality of prayer time. You might think, well, I can't pray an hour. You don't have to pray an hour. There's a statement about Smith Wigglesworth. It's, it's told a number of different ways. But the way that I had read it, it said that someone asked him how often, how long, how often he prays for an hour. He says, I seldom ever pray for an hour, but I never let an hour go by that I don't pray. And so here's, here's, what, here's what I'm going to suggest for us. I'm not your boss, and I'm not, you know, I don't lower, to, I'm your pastor, I'm, your, I'm a spiritual guide in your life, I hope. And I'm going to suggest for us all to take a journey to find a way to have three little segments every day where we pray. Most people in the factory, I was, I was a factory rat for many, many, many years. And I had a 15-minute break in the morning and a half-hour break at noon and a 15-minute break in the afternoon. What if you took a segment, just a snippet of those three times and said, this is a moment I'm going to get alone. And I know in the factory, the only place sometimes to get alone is in the bathroom stall. God don't care where you're at. But what if you just took those two, three minutes Five minutes, three times a day, and just opened your heart to God and begin to develop a consistent prayer life. Now, I'm not talking about, now, for those that are highly organized, you're going to develop a, court, a chart, a graph, and you're going to have a little check mark. Oh, I did it. I, did, I got my three in. I got my, God's not calculating like that. Huh? <laughs> now, was going, are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> Naomi, would you, would you make me a chart too? No, I'm just kidding. I'm so glad she's an administrative like that. That's pretty cool. Miss Corey was here. She'd be like, I'm going to make Pastor a, a chart. So we don't, God's not interested in that. I'm saying you have your heart in a place where you said, this is a moment for just me and God. And I, I just would find it hard to understand that any of us couldn't find three five-minute segments in a day in a in a day that's hard to fathom that any one of us are so busy that we couldn't find three different five minute segments in the day i know we have that much time you spend that much time or more on facebook what if god much what if god got as much face time with you as facebook gets with you hmm so i want us to develop a consistent prayer life because, as I said, a consistent prayer life will prepare you for difficult situations. Uh, I, I think that we need to have a solid 
prayer life. It's going to equip us to face whatever metaphoric fiery furnace that may come our way. We'll be able to stand our ground and we won't have our life torched by society and by culture. If we could pray like this, I believe that we would be able to face any lion's den, metaphoric lion's den that the enemy may, may want to throw us in. If we could have this kind of consistent prayer life, I believe that we could go toe-to-toe with any Goliath that may show up to try to knock our lives down. Can I get a witness from somebody? If you can believe it and receive it today, would you give the Lord a praise in the house of God? Come on. (laughs) The end. Pretty soon it'll be time to go home and eat enchiladas. Got you. You thought I was going to say chicken. You thought I was going to say chicken. I know you did. I'm trying to shake you up a little bit. And they're not chicken enchiladas. I just want to let you know. Before we dismiss today, though, would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I want to offer you an invitation to accept Jesus Christ. I'm not going to get all eloquent with it and try to do some emotional altar call. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, I want you to stand right where you're at right now. I am believing for lost souls to find Jesus Christ in our services. And I am praying every day, and I have others that are doing the same thing, That at every service and every altar call, someone will answer the call to accept Jesus Christ into their heart. If there is no one, I won't belabor the moment. I'll just accept the fact that everyone in here is ready to meet the Lord Jesus should that day arrive for you. Let me pray over you, and then I know, Brother Jonathan, if you'll come forward, I know you had a couple words to say, and you're going to dismiss our service. But I just want to pray over the end of this message. He'll dismiss you in prayer in just a moment. But Father, I come before you on behalf of us all. All of us as a assembly, an assembly of believers, a congregation of Christ. Saying, Lord, we want to make a commitment to have a consistent prayer life. So that we can be connected to your heart. And may we know that when we're connected to your heart, we're connected to your power. When we carry your heart, we carry your power. And may we have power in our lives to be difference makers, to not compromise with the world or to do anything along those lines, but to constantly and consistently give our lives to you. And may each of us be challenged today, but in a positive way, To say, I'm going to find three, five, ten minute segments a day, whatever it may be, that belongs to me and God. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Give the Lord a praise in the house. Let's give Pastor another hand. I know about you, but several nuggets he said throughout... um, that I actually wrote down. I, I, I will be chewing on that all week. I think the number one one was um, when you 
stop praying that literally starts the death process or something around there. Woo, wow, that was good. Um, challenging, <laughs> but good stuff. Um, my name is Reverend Glenn. I just, want, I just want to just talk to you about a couple of things, and then I will let us go home so you eat the enchiladas, um, whatever you have cooked. But a couple of weeks ago, um, you all blessed me very, very well with my graduation, transition of my title of doctor. Um, there's a lot of cards, a lot of beautiful words, a lot of great well wishes. Um, I promise you I tried to sit down and write thank you cards. It just didn't happen. Life is 100 miles an hour. So I asked Pastor if I could come up here and just publicly say thank you for all of your gifts. Thank you so much for your love. Um, I was raised right. I was raised to say thank you. So for all the um, traditional individuals who want those cards, I'm sorry. It ain't going to happen. Um, but, I, but I love you so much. I love my church. Um, you know, I'm a, where I work at, um, a lot of people don't believe in the power of church. And when I talk about you guys, when I talk about pastor, when I talk about the praise band and my friends, um, they're always very, very shocked to hear how much I love you all and talk about you as family. Um, and, you know, for all the guests in the room, this is not a facade. This is not something that is fake. You know, I talk about transformational over transactional all the time. There's a lot of transformational friendships I have in this room. There's marriages that I look up to. There's friends in this room, people, confidants in this room, people I know if I'm struggling, I can call in prayer. Outside of my pastors, I have friends in this room who are prayer warriors, just as me, Sharon. If I call Sharon about everything, I know she's going to stop and she is going to pray for me. And she's a great babysitter of three triplets, just to let you know. So again, thank you. Just know that what we do in this church is a great example, right? The word of God is excellent, but the way we walk it out in the streets and the way we love each other is also a testament of the truth of who God is. So stand up. I'm going to challenge you that you don't just love each other in this room the way that you're showing me now, right? The love that you are looking at me right now with your eyes, I challenge you to take that type of love out in the streets. Those people that have been categorized as not lovable, and those people that have been given up by society, I dare you to love them. I dare you to take that love into the classroom. I dare you to take that love into your office space. I dare you to take that love within your relationships, within your spouses, within your children. I dare you to love real. I dare you to love bold. I dare you to speak and live and breathe through the power of Christ. I dare you to pray this week. I dare you to love in your actions and how you spend your money and how you proclaim the power of Christ. Can I get an amen? Father, I call everyone in this room blessed, those who are watching blessed as we leave this place. May we not leave your presence. May we take you with us everywhere. And this week, may we remember morning, noon, night, prayer on our knees, giving you all of the honor because with you, we can be ready for difficult situations. Y'all believe that? Y'all say amen. Y'all have a blessed week. Thank you.